You are listening to Rabbi Arya Wolby of Torch in Houston, Texas. This is the Parsha Review Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the weekly Parsha Review. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Ki Sisa, or some people call it Ki Tisa. It is the ninth portion in the book of Exodus and the 21st portion since the beginning of the Torah. There are 139 verses, 2,002 words, and 7,424 letters. There are nine mitzvahs in the parsha, four performative mitzvahs and five prohibitions. And there are four main areas of discussion in this week's parsha. The first is that every Jew... 20 years and older, every male over 20 years and older gave a half shekel to the Mishkan. These coins were used to count the Jews. Moshe is commanded to construct a copper laver, a wash basin, which would be placed at the entrance of the Mishkan. The Kohanim are to wash their hands and feet before any temple services. Medals were donated by the women, and the unique formula of the anointing oil is described and Hashem instructs Moshe to use these oils only for dedicating the Mishkan, its vessels, and anointing Aaron and his sons. Moshe is given the secret recipe for the Ketores, the incense sacrifice that is brought on the golden altar. Hashem selects Betzalel and Ahaliyav, master craftsmen, to construct the Mishkan and its vessels. The Jewish people are commanded again to observe and keep the Shabbos, the eternal sign of Hashem's creation, Hashem's mastery over the entire world. Then we have the terrible sin of the golden calf. After the revelation at Mount Sinai, Moshe ascends the mountain to receive the two tablets. Due to a grave miscalculation by the mixed multitudes, the Egyptians who joined the Jewish people, they panicked when Moshe's return was delayed according to their miscalculation. They build a golden calf and make it into an idol, serving, worshiping, and bringing sacrifices to it. Aaron tried and failed to stall and delay them from doing this. Hashem sees this and is very angry. He tells Moshe, who is up on top of the mountain, up in the heavens, he says, go return to the people immediately, threatening to destroy everyone and build a new nation beginning from Moshe. Moshe davens for the people and begs Hashem for forgiveness, and to save them. When Moshe sees the camp of idol worshipers, he shatters the tablets and destroys the golden calf. Moshe gathers volunteers from the tribe of Levi, and they execute all 3,000 men involved in this idolatry, in the golden calf. Moshe returns to the prayer for forgiveness and even tells Hashem that if he doesn't forgive their sins, Moshe's name should be removed from the entire Torah. Erase my name from your Torah. Hashem then forgives, but the Jews are punished with a plague and the effects of the sin are long felt. Hashem tells Moshe that an angel will will accompany them here on in. Moshe demands that Hashem himself accompany the Jewish people to the promised land, and Hashem agrees. Moshe sets up the Mishkan, the tabernacle, and Hashem's clouds of glory return. Moshe asks Hashem to learn how Hashem conducts his world. Hashem revealed to me how you conduct your world. Where's the justice in the world? Explain to me how it works. Explain to me why bad things happen to good people, why good things seemingly happen to 
bad people or seemingly good things happen to, to bad people, but is only granted a small glimpse. Hashem instructs Moshe to craft new tablets. Moshe ascends the mountain so that Hashem can inscribe them. Hashem reveals to Moshe the text of the prayer that will invoke his divine mercy forever, which is actually part of our high holiday services, our high holiday prayers. We have those prayers as part of our request for forgiveness and atonement. Idol worship, intermarriage, and the combination of milk and meat are prohibited. The laws of the festivals, Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot, the firstborn, the first fruits, and Shabbos are taught again. And after seeing a vision of Hashem's glory, Moshe's face becomes so brightly illuminated that he had to cover it. And that covering, that veil, was only removed to speak to Hashem and to teach the Torah to the Jewish people. So a few important lessons from this week's Torah portion. The first is that the Parsha of Kisisa begins with what is the portion of Shekalim. You remember a couple of weeks ago, we read the special portion of Shekalim, and the silver shekels were melted into 100 Adanim, which are sockets that would hold the Mishkan beams. So the silver shekel wasn't just used to amass wealth, but actually melted down into these sockets. Now, one of the most incredible things in this week's parsha that I'm always fascinated with is that Hashem chooses who's going to construct the vessels and the garments of the temple, Bitzalel and Ahaliyaf, because they had wisdom of heart. We have to understand that every single human being is gifted with special talents. Our job as parents, our job as an individual, is to identify what are those talents within ourselves and what are those talents within our children and help those shine. Every single human being is a special human being. Every single human being is endowed with a godly gift and a godly talent. Our job is to bring that talent to light. Our job is to bring that talent and magnify it so that it can shine. God gave a special gift to the special craftsmen, Betzal and Aliyah. Hashem says, now is the moment you're going to shine. Every person has something unique. Don't try to be like someone else. Don't try to copy another person. Be you. You are unique. You are special. You are the only you Hashem has ever created. And you are the only you that Hashem will ever create. You're the only person who has the composition of the parents, of the neighborhood, of the community, of the family, of the siblings, of the internal strengths and weaknesses that even one of your siblings doesn't have the same. Each person has their own life experience. You ever stand with someone and you're standing like, oh my goodness, did you see that? And they're like, what? I, I didn't see. I was standing right here. I didn't see it. You see, because every person has to see something different. Every person's life experience is unique. And this is something we can learn from Betzal and Aliyah. They were each unique, gifted with something that nobody else had to that degree. And Hashem is teaching us here that each and every one of us have a Betzal within us. 
Each and every one of us have an aliyah within us, something that's unique, something that's special, some talent that nobody else has. I'll just share with you a quick story. There was a principal of a school, and there was a, a, a student in that school that was plagued with bad behavior. And no teacher from every single class in that grade was able to deal with him. Finally, they went to the last option. You know, sometimes they have like six parallel classes. They went to the last one, and they're like, please, we need a, a rabbi with patience. We need a rabbi with love. And this kid was just misbehaving. And this kid, at, at some point, the teacher says, go to the principal's office. I can't have you in class anymore. The principal realizes that something needs to be done. So he sits with this student and he says to him, can you tell me something that you're good at? Something that you're very specially, you know, uniquely good at. And the child says, nothing, nothing. And he says, come on, something. There has to be something that you're the best at. He says, oh, I remember something. I'm actually the best at climbing trees. I can climb the tree faster than anyone else in my class. He says, oh, wow, that's fascinating. And he makes him write it down on a piece of paper. He says, now let's find another thing that you're great at. And, you know, slowly they were able to come up with a list of things that this child was unique in. He says to him, every day before you come to school, I want you to stand in front of the mirror and I want you to read this paper of the 10 things that you're unique and special at. And as the story says, they never had an issue with this child's behavior ever again. See, he was misbehaving because he was trying to find that uniqueness. Once they found the uniqueness, he had no reason to have an outburst. He had no reason to have a behavior problem to show some form of uniqueness. He was begging and searching for something to be special in. Each one of us have something special. Let's find the Betzalel within us. Let's find the Ahaliyah within us. Now, again, there's the juxtaposition of Shabbos and the Mishkan, Shabbos and the Tabernacle, Shabbos and the permitted construction during the weekdays of the Tabernacle and the prohibited construction of the Tabernacle on Shabbos. Our sages remind us that what was the purpose of the Tabernacle? To be close to God. You know what Shabbos is? To be close to God. Don't do labor. Just enjoy. That's the purpose of Shabbos. Just enjoy. Hashem wants us to enjoy. It's not limiting. It's exhilarating. People think, oh, Shabbos, I can't do. It's about just being and living in a life, in, a, in an existence of total connection with the Almighty. We talked about this last week. The importance of feeling an absolute connection with Shabbos. Shabbos is the greatest gift in the world. You know who says that? The creator of the world. Hashem himself says to Moshe, I have the greatest gift in my storehouse. Give it to the Jewish people. Let them know. Meaning, let them know how special it is. Because it's possible that someone will look at it as not an oneg Shabbos, the ayin nun gimel, but rather the nega of Shabbos, the plague of Shabbos, nun gimel ayin. It depends how you look at it. It depends on your perspective. If you put the ayin in the right place, if you look at it properly, you understand its purpose. It's not a limitation. It's not a plague. It is the greatest delight. And that's the gift of Shabbos. We learn it 
constantly being juxtaposed to the Mishkan because the Mishkan was the place of absolute connection with the Almighty. And that's what Hashem wants through Shabbos. Another thing is we have to be extremely, extremely careful of our influences. The Erev Rav, the mixed multitudes of Egyptians who joined the Jewish people, they said, you know what? We see that there's a God. There has to be a God because look at the punishments. Look at the the prophecy. Look at what's been going on here. There's no way for someone to think there isn't a God. So they joined the Jewish people and they left Egypt with the Jewish people. But you know what? They weren't fully committed to the cause. And they were a bad influence, which is why a bad influence, you need to remove yourself completely from it. And they were eradicated. Those 3,000 men were executed by Moshe and the Levites. Why? Because you can't allow a bad influence to stay in your midst. If your children are being negatively influenced, remove the influence. We talked about this recently in the Unboxing Judaism podcast, just recently, about technology and children. The terrible, terrible influence that it could have on our children. Don't say, oh, it's okay, I trust them. Would you trust them with heroin? No. I guarantee you your cell phone... The smartphones are more dangerous than that. Remove the influence. And please listen to that podcast because it gives a very, very healthy, balanced approach to how in our world of modern culture, we're living in a real world. This is the reality. How do we deal with this? And I think there are some very practical tools offered in that podcast that are important for us to set certain measures, certain protective boundaries so that, God forbid, our children don't get negatively influenced by that. Another thing is so amazing how forgiveness is attainable. All we need to do is ask. Look at Moshe. Look what the audacity. Moshe's like, no, 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 no. Look, if you're not forgiving my people, I'm out. Take me out of your Torah. That's a true leader. He fights on behalf of his people. No. You can't just punish my people. I am my people. And if you're erasing them, you're erasing me. And that's why Hashem says, well, I'll start a new people from you. No, 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 no. Moshe says, no, 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 no. I am my people. And if you take my people, you're taking me too. Take me out of your book as well. It's very important for leaders. We mentioned this back in the beginning of Moshe's life, where he went out and saw the pain of his brothers. He saw the pain they were, they were experiencing. A parent needs to understand the pain of their child. But it's also important to remember, we talk about this in parenting, that your child's pain is your child's problem. You're there to help. If you make it your problem, you're ineffective and you can't help them anymore. It's their problem. I'm here to help you. I'm here to assist and I feel your pain. But it's not my pain because the minute you make it your pain, you, you lose all neutrality. You lose all ability to assist. So it's very, very important to remember that Moshe, as a true leader, he was relentless on behalf of the Jewish people. But you know the most important thing he did? He asked. He asked for forgiveness. He asked. And when someone asks for forgiveness from the Almighty, Hashem, please forgive the Jewish people. 
And what does Hashem say? Yes. And not only that, I'm going to give you the secret codes so that forever you will have the key to my heart. You'll have the key to the gate of forgiveness. And it's the 13 attributes of mercy that we recite time and again throughout Yom Kippur. Time and again and again and again. Hashem, we ask for forgiveness. Hashem, we ask for atonement. We ask that you remove the sin from our account. Now, we see that the Kohen, before they had to go into the, into the service, they had to wash their hands, they had to wash themselves, because cleanliness goes before holiness. You can't be holy if you're dirty. You got to clean yourself first. And it's a very important principle, and hopefully we'll have time in the future to elaborate on this. But the idea is, I think, very clear. You have to have cleanliness before you have holiness. And holiness overtakes the entire physical world. Abraham had a field that got elevated when he purchased it from Ephron. And Moshe had a physical body that was elevated by a tremendous light because he was elevated. We think that the laws of nature apply to us while it's mostly true, not in a spiritual sense. When a person grows spiritually, they grow beyond the physical. The laws of nature don't apply when there is a holiness. And therefore, we ask Hashem all the time that we're able to ascend above our physical trappings, that we not be limited by our physical bodies. My dear friends, Have a remarkable Shabbos. Thank you so much for joining us today.